Hey there. Welcome back to this episode of The Emily Show. This is unexpected. Like, I am surprised, but after reading the Supreme Court opinion in the Bill Cosby case, I understand why the court overturned his criminal conviction, barred a future prosecution, and released him from jail. Like, all of that shit just happened really quick on June 30th. Like, it, it, it was... It was a stunning day, and I am still a bit surprised, but I break down this ruling because I think it's important to understand the boundaries of criminal prosecution. Hopefully, it's helpful coming from the perspective of a prosecutor. The court did not touch on prosecutorial misconduct. I don't think that's the case here. I think that this is genuinely different prosecutors seeing things differently and the Supreme Court saying what you can't do just to be clear, the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. But what you can't do is um, not have one prosecutorial office bound by the promises of an elected DA, even when things change. And that's really the heart of this decision by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Hey there, welcome to The Emily Show. I'm your host, Emily D. Baker, badass lawyer and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you want to talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years. I'm a former prosecutor, and I'm a big fan of the cursey words. So let's break it down. Before we get all the way into it, we have been starting quite often on The Emily Show with a quote, and I think it's appropriate to use a Bill Cosby quote because we're talking about him in this episode. This quote is, I think, appropriate with regards to this case. I don't know the key to success, but the key to failure is trying to please everybody. And I think that with regards to this ruling, the court made the legally correct decision, even though the result is undesirable. We know the evidence in this case, and I'm not going to get into it deeply, but I will link for you in the show notes of this episode, the court's opinion, and you can read It's a lengthy and and well-written opinion. It is not too deeply legal, I didn't think. A lot of it was very easy to read and very clear on the facts that were presented at trial. And I will break down in a minute the kind of overview of the timeline of how we got here and what went on with that trial. But the court has to do what's right by the Constitution even though the result is definitely going to frustrate people, given that in civil depositions, Bill Cosby did admit to the behavior that he was convicted of. But that doesn't mean that the Constitution can be subverted in pursuit of a prosecution, and that should never happen. So it's a very interesting decision because this is another case where legality and morality sometimes diverge and we don't like the result, but it is the legally proper result, even when it doesn't feel right. So let's get into the discussion of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court's decision to overturn the conviction of Bill Cosby. So I feel like as I start talking about these topics, because information comes out so quickly when we go live for an extra special uh, breakdown of something that's happening. I need to just time and date stamp it. So we're sitting here on Wednesday, June 30th, 2021 at six o'clock PM 
Central Standard Time. We are talking about the Bill Cosby conviction that was overturned. Today, he was released from prison and the case is barred from retrial. So as a brief road so far on how we got here, if you had not followed this case closely, let's just catch you up to speed without getting into all of the details of this case. Charges were brought in this case in December 2015 for an incident coming from 2004. In 2005, that 2004 incident was reported. The court addresses the then-elected district attorney's decision to decline to prosecute around that time. So in 2005, the elected district attorney at that time declined to prosecute, and there were no charges pending. There was a formal press release. We are declining to prosecute this case. So in a civil lawsuit with regard to the same victim that was then uh, the victim in the criminal prosecution, there was a civil lawsuit and sworn depositions were given with self-incriminating statements. Now, in a civil deposition, there's no right to the Fifth Amendment in a civil case because you are not testifying against your own self-interest. It's a civil case. It's not potentially a loss of your personal liberty. But if a criminal case was pending, you can't be forced to testify in a civil case, which is why a lot of times in cases like the O.J. Simpson case, you'll see the criminal case go first and then the civil case go after because you've already uh, finished out the criminal proceedings. So there's no worry that you could incriminate yourself because that fifth amendment right against self-incrimination means you can't say shit that can then put you into prison put you in a worse place, incriminate you for further prosecution. This So the DA declined to prosecute in 2005. The civil suit went forward in 2006. The civil suit settled for somewhere around 3.4 to $3.6 million based on news reports. In 2015, there was a change of guard at the DA's office, and the transcript and the deposition from the civil case was ordered unsealed. The then-elected DA decided to pursue the prosecution with statements that were given in that deposition. In trial at uh, in 2017, the jury initially deadlocked, so the first jury trial hung. The second jury trial in 2018 convicted uh, Cosby with regard to the one victim. He was sentenced in September 2018 to three to 10 years of prison sliding scale. In May 21, 2021, he came up before the parole board uh, to see if he would be eligible to be released on parole. They declined to release him on parole because he had not been participating in therapy. He has famously said that he uh, is innocent of these charges and he will not show remorse. This court's ruling does not say that he didn't do the things he's convicted by jury of doing. They said the way that the DAs went about obtaining the conviction violated the defendant's Fifth Amendment rights. Now, this case went to a trial judge. There were two trials. That means there were pretrial motions regarding these statements coming in, and the judge was like, yes, these statements come in. This case went up on appeal. The appellate court said, yeah, the trial court got it right. These statements can come in. There was no offer of immunity. There was no prosecutorial immunity. So he could have asserted the Fifth Amendment, but he didn't. The defense argued, well, he didn't because he was told he wouldn't be prosecuted. So there was really no Fifth Amendment right. And that was the intent of prosecutors at the time that he would testify in the civil case for that victim who they were not prosecuting on her behalf. Then um, this went up to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. And today the Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruled that the prosecution's 
statement that they were declining prosecution and Bill Cosby's reliance on that statement when he made self-incriminating statements that were then used against him in trial requires by law that the case be overturned, that the conviction be thrown out. This is one of uh, one of those cases where you're going to look at this and be like, this result sucks. I don't like this result. I have followed the facts of this case. I have seen what Bill Cosby did. I have seen what he was convicted of. I think it sucks. I hate it. He should be in prison. I understand that completely. Um, however, the Fifth Amendment being what it is means what the prosecutor can't do is say, hey, we're not going to prosecute you. And then you go and say things in depositions and you you make statements. And then they turn around and go, oh, just kidding. Um, all those things you said under oath, we're going to go ahead and use those against you. And you didn't assert your Fifth Amendment right because we told you we weren't going to prosecute. You can't bait and switch people. They, 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 You can't. And there was lots of conversation in this ruling that the prosecutor indicated, the elected DA indicated substantially, significantly, and repeatedly, I intended that we would never prosecute this case. I intended that my statement and the uh, press release on this case would indicate that we, we as an office would never prosecute this case. And just because one DA is, is elected out and a new DA is elected in doesn't mean you can change those filing decisions and reopen a case that is 10 years old and decide to prosecute it now with the benefit of sworn statements by a defendant that violates their constitutional rights and the court got it right in this case, though the result I do not like. I don't like the result at all. Um, he was convicted by a jury, but would he have been convicted if they hadn't used those statements? Some of the judges who agree with the result and the reasoning in this case who don't agree with the um, barring the future prosecution said, let it be retried without those statements. The court declined to do that. And that's why there's some dissents in this opinion. There's another a dissent that I haven't gotten to, the final dissent I didn't get to. Um, so I'm not sure what their reasoning is, but most of the impaneled court agreed with this. Let's get into some of what the court had to say. Um, and the difficulty when you get a balance of legality and morality because it feels morally like, wait, 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 wait. We heard the testimony. We know what was done here. That is illegal and it sucks. But you can't violate the constitution to secure a prosecution. No one should like that result. That result's bad for everyone. And it is easy to defend the Constitution when you like the result. It is harder to defend the Constitution when you don't like the result. And this is one of those cases that will be an example for years to come of we don't like the result, but you also can't win at all costs. That is not I don't think that's what the DA's office here tried to do. Let me be clear. I think the DA's office here had a reasonable difference of opinion, and they said, look, We'll get into this opinion in a second. In this case, there is no signed and sworn statement of immunity. In the cases I have dealt with personally, not in Pennsylvania, but in Los Angeles as a prosecutor, if there's offers of immunity, that offer of immunity goes through like 12 different bosses because there's no shortage of bosses at a large district attorney's office. And it goes through committees and it is agreed upon and it is sworn and it is part of the court file and it is a very formal process. That's not what happened in this case. It was a press release saying we're declining to prosecute. So the newer prosecutors in 2015 said, 
Um, that's not an offer of immunity, though. That's like a press release. And the DA who had been elected out, the former DA, emailed the prosecutors and said, I intended that our office would never prosecute this. We intended this to be transactional immunity so that a civil um, litigation, so that civil litigation could go forward and that the victim could be made whole through civil litigation because the prosecutor's office in 2005 did not see this as a winnable case and did not want to go forward with the case. In fact, the prosecutor said, and the court reiterated that this case cannot be prosecuted and go forward without an admission from Cosby, which they ended up getting by way of his deposition. But what you can't do is exactly that. So let's talk about what the court said here um, real quick and then get to their, their reasoning in the decision. They did a very good job of laying this out. This is a 79-page, very thorough opinion. Again, it is linked uh, down below in the notes. The Justice, uh, Justice Wetch, W-E-C-T-H, W-E-C-H-T, I think Wetch is how we say that. In 2005, Montgomery County District Attorney Bruce Castor learned that uh, the victim in this case, Andrea Kronstadt, had reported that Bill Cosby had sexually assaulted her in 2004 at his, I have no idea how to pronounce, Chettleham, Chettenham, Chettleham. We're, we're just not even going to try at his residence, although with his top uh, along with his top deputy prosecutor and experienced detectives, the attorney, the district attorney, thoroughly investigated the victim's claim in evaluating the likelihood of success of prosecution of Cosby. The district attorney foresaw difficulties with the victim's credibility as a witness based in part on her decision not to file a complaint promptly. We will have a separate discussion about that. This was delayed reporting of literally a year. Um, different states, including California, have changed the statute of limitations in cases like this to allow for delayed reporting because it is more the norm than it is not the norm. This is only a year. Um, I wouldn't have considered that substantially delayed reporting, but I am not the elected DA of Pennsylvania in 2005, so it's not my decision to make. A year a lot of prosecutors, I don't think, uh, would blink at a year, though 2005 was different and these cases were a bit more difficult to prosecute. Juries' opinions and attitudes and understanding of delayed reporting has changed. Delayed reporting being, you know, not immediately when the thing happens. DA Castor further determined that a prosecution would be frustrated because there was no corroborating forensic evidence that being the bigger problem for me. And because testimony from other potential claimants against Cosby likely was inadmissible under governing laws of evidence. This gets into propensity evidence. Some states, and Pennsylvania is one of them, that has rules in assault and sexual assault cases where you can use other victims who are not who have not had cases be criminally prosecuted. Generally, you can't use propensity evidence to prove that somebody did a thing. It's like, look, they did this thing over there, so it's more likely they did this thing now. Generally, you can't do it, but there are exceptions, particularly in cases of sexual assault. California has 1101 and 1108 evidence. In Pennsylvania, they cited Section 404 um, of their code, Rule 404B, which allows for others who have experienced the same pattern or act of behavior to testify. The court indicates in this that it is an area of concern for them, but because of the Fifth Amendment violation, they don't 
answer that question, whether the Pennsylvania Rule 404 of propensity evidence in cases like this will be tested by the Supreme Court. It seems likely that it will down the road, but it's not in this case. So I am not going to speak to it much unless we get to it in Q&A because that's not how the court ruled in this case. But that's what that statement is about. Um, the collective weight of these considerations led D.A. Castor to conclude that unless Cosby confessed, quote, there was insufficient credible and admissible evidence upon which any charge against Cosby related to the victim uh, could be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. That is a very concise decline to file. I have read plenty of case file where um, where statements very similar have been written. This case, based on that, probably should have stayed based on that. The DA at the time said, without corroborating forensic evidence, and some DA's offices actually require corroborating evidence, it can't just be testimony after the fact. There must be other corroboration before they'll pursue cases like this. Um, this is probably where it should have stayed with this prosecutor's decision. Those decisions are not made lightly, and those decisions end up with a sit-down with the victim saying, this is the reason we don't think we can prosecute it. Um, it doesn't mean we don't believe you. It means that we don't think we can prove this to a jury beyond a reasonable doubt, and the American system of criminal justice is such that if you're taking somebody's liberty away by sending them to prison, the bounds and the the um, bar is very high for the evidence that has to be proved. We don't think we can cross that bar, even though we do think that this is what happened to you. So we are not going to prosecute this case. The opinion goes on to say, seeking, quote, some measure of justice for the victim, D.A. Castor decided that the Commonwealth would decline to prosecute Cosby for the incident involving her, thereby allowing him to be forced to testify in a subsequent civil action. So this is the DA saying, look, we're not going to prosecute, but you have the ability to go after him civilly. And since we're not going to prosecute, he can't say, I plead the fifth. He can be forced to testify. And we're doing that so that you can pursue it this way because we don't think we can pursue it criminally. The bar for a civil action is lower. The burden of proof is lower than the burden of proof for a criminal prosecution. Again, I referenced the OJ uh, case earlier because you saw the criminal go first and then the civil, and you saw a acquittal on the criminal and a um, finding of wrongful death on the civil. Those standards of proof and the burden of proof is different in the two different systems, the civil versus the criminal. So the court goes on to say that uh, unable to invoke any right not to testify in civil proceedings, Cosby relied upon the district attorney's declination and proceeded to provide four sworn depositions. During these depositions, he made several incriminating statements. Yeah, because he admitted it. D.A. Castor's successors did not feel bound by his decision and decided to prosecute him, notwithstanding the prior undertaking. The fruits of Cosby's reliance on D.A. Castor's decision, Cosby's sworn inculpatory testimony, were then used by the D.A.'s successors against him at his criminal trial. What you can't do. We granted allowance of appeal to determine whether D.A.'s Castor decision not to prosecute Cosby in exchange for his testimony must be enforced against the Commonwealth, meaning it's not just one D.A. saying, hey, I'll make this deal with you. And then another D.A. comes along and was like, just kidding. Uh, I didn't make that deal, so I don't I'm not bound by it. A district attorney, an elected district attorney 
their office is bound by those decisions and should be. Um, there has to be some order of justice, even again, when we don't like the result. And this this is a problem with the district attorney's office becoming, um, it's always been a politicized office. It's an elected position. But when there's a decision 10 years later to overturn an agreement that was made, you end up with situations like this. Put victims through very public trials and then end up, you know, what, two years later, um, two and a half years later with it being overturned by the Supreme Court with no hope of going back after it, where um, without that happening, it might not have pulled the victims through all of this if it had just been left stand uh, at the civil uh, case that settled. So I'm gonna I'm gonna scroll very quickly down to the end of this decision and go through the court's final reasoning on this Fifth Amendment issue, because really it was the reliance and the good faith reliance on the district attorney's statement that they weren't going to prosecute. They declined to prosecute a press release, and it was it's not just that any time a district attorney declines to prosecute, you're going to end up in this situation. This is a very specific fact scenario where there also is a civil litigation. But you can end up in this situation where a district attorney's office declines to prosecute. There is a civil investigation or a civil trial, and then a DA wants to reopen it. I think you're going to see offices, well, I think you should see offices anyway, being mindful about not using those statements. If they hadn't used the statements from the deposition, we probably wouldn't be here. And then we would be having the conversation about the 404B, the um, evidence of past pattern and past bad acts that weren't prosecuted, the other women that testified. That would be the conversation here on appeal, not this use of the statement. Uh, the court often takes the easier route. And so the court was like, oh no, this is clearly a violation of the Fifth Amendment. We're not going to even touch the other one because this renders the other one moot. And so because this renders the other one moot, we're just la la la, like another day. We will address whether that rule 404A is proper or whether it is administered properly here another day. Because again, the appellate court and the trial court both said, no, we cool with all of this. Like, this is fine. We're cool. This is being overturned at the Supreme Court of the state. Conclusion. We do not question the discretion that is vested in prosecutors over whether charges should be brought in any given case. The prosecutors argued that it is prosecutorial discretion to choose to file a case or to choose not to file a case. The thing is, though, you once you rely on it, it becomes an issue. And that's exactly what the Supreme Court says here. We will not undermine a prosecutor's, quote, general and widely recognized power to conduct criminal litigation and prosecutions on behalf of the Commonwealth and to decide whether and when to prosecute and whether and when to continue or discontinue a case. This case, when it was filed, was very close to the 10-year statute of limitations um, from my understanding. The decision to charge or not to charge a defendant can be conditioned, modified, or revoked at the discretion of the prosecutor. The court is very clearly saying, we are not saying that just because you decline a case, you know, X, and things change, society changes, evidence changes, the way we can interpret evidence changes, um, technology gets better and we're able to uncover things. It doesn't mean you can't 
go back after this case or you can't decline to prosecute and then resume a prosecution later or open up cold cases and prosecute them later. That's not what this decision is saying. What this decision is saying is that the defendant relied to their detriment and the prosecution then used incriminating statements. They go on to say, however, the discretion vested in our Commonwealth's prosecutors, however vast, does not mean that its exercise is free of the constraints of due process. Right. When an unconditional charging decision is made publicly and with the intent to induce action and reliance by the defendant, I think that's probably the most important part of this this decision, with the intent to induce action and reliance by the defendant. Because the former elected DA, Castor, said, my goal by declining to prosecute is that the civil case can go forward and you can seek um, being made whole in the civil case. So there's no Fifth Amendment right. So Cosby has to sit for depositions. He has to be questioned about these things and he has no out. That is my goal. Let it be dealt with in the civil arena. And that was the stated goal and the repeated stated goal. So I don't know what a defense attorney needs to do, but say, look, you're not going to be prosecuted. You have to go to this civil deposition. I don't know what else a defense attorney would do. I mean, in the future, I guess you assert the Fifth Amendment and make the court say, no, you have no Fifth Amendment right. In this case, Cosby did not assert the Fifth Amendment at any of those depositions because Cosby's attorneys were like, it's moot. The DA said they're not prosecuting. Though if you had made a court find it, maybe it would have made it a little easier on the record initially instead of, you know, getting to it years and years later at the Supreme Court. And then you always just assert the right and make the court make the finding that no, there's no criminal, um, there's no criminal prosecution pending. The DA has said that they're not prosecuting. You don't have a Fifth Amendment right. And in that case, making the court make that decision instead of the defendant not exercising the right. And perhaps that is the uh or would have been back in 2005 the better course of action. But either way, that's not what was done. They found that the district attorney's declination to prosecute and press release about the declination to prosecute, and we'll get into the press release in just a moment, was with the intent to induce action and reliance by the defendant. And when the defendant does so to his detriment, and in some instances upon the approval of, upon the advice of counsel, denying the defendant the benefit of that decision is an affront to fundamental fairness particularly when it results in a criminal prosecution that was foregone for more than a decade. No mere changing of the guard strips that circumstances of its inequity. I mean, they don't, they don't parse words, do they? A contrary result would be patently untenable. It would violate long-cherished principles of fundamental fairness. It would be antithetical. That is not easy to pronounce. Antithetical and antithetical to and corrosive of the integrity and functionality of the criminal justice system that we strive to maintain. And that is that is the Supremes being supreme in their wording. I think the heart of this decision is that the statement was made publicly with the intent to induce action and reliance by the defendant, and that allowing you to rely on a promise by a prosecutor to make statements against your own interest and then be prosecuted by it really is an affront to the fifth amendment. And that's, and that's what the grounds of this ruling are. They say a contrary result would be patently untenable. 
It would long, it would violate long cherished principles of fundamental fairness. Um, it would be corrosive of the integrity and functionality of the criminal justice system that we strive to maintain. And they're not wrong, even though I don't like the result. What should have happened in this case is that the prosecution should not have gone forward using those statements. They relied on the ruling of the judge, though it is up to the prosecutor's office to decide if it's worth rolling the dice on a future appeal because the prosecutors had to have had this conversation. And I imagine, and what's alluded to in parts of this, is that the prosecutor said, but there's no written immunity agreement. You don't just give immunity in a press release. Who does that? You don't, you don't just give immunity by making a statement to the press. There is a formal, and in Pennsylvania, a very formal process for doing so. And that's what the appellate court, I'm sure that's what the prosecutors thought. I don't think they were trying to subvert justice with this. I think the prosecutors thought you don't have an immunity agreement because there's no immunity agreement that's written and signed and filed with the court and in the court file. You have a press release saying we decline to prosecute. Cases get declined all the time and then prosecuted later. So I think the prosecutor's office was like, it's not our fault. He relied on it. I mean, but you've got the elected DA saying, no, no, we intended for him to rely on it. And that's why this is a fairly unique circumstance in that you don't have that formal agreement. Look, don't ever, don't, don't ever rely on not a written agreement, first of all. And second of all, if you're offering immunity, offer immunity. If you're not offering immunity, don't use the statements if there's a question. I wonder, based on the initial prosecutor's thoughts that without a confession, they would not be able to get a prosecution uh, conviction. And based on the fact that the first time this went to trial, the jury hung and was not able to come to a decision, how critical those statements were to a jury. Some of the judges wanted to find out and say, look, um, remove the statements and let it be relitigated, let it be re-prosecuted. And the court was like, no, you can't, no, we're not doing that. It's a violation of the Fifth Amendment. You don't get to retry the case. Let me pull up this press statement real quick. It's buried in the middle here. And we don't like these results. We don't. We don't like these results. I, I, I mean, I feel absolutely horribly for all the women that testified in this case that feels like somehow this ruling says what you went through doesn't matter because that's not what this ruling says. What this ruling says is that the Constitution wasn't adhered to. It doesn't say that what happened to these women isn't horrific, what happened to them is not valid, and what happened to them wasn't determined by a jury because all of those things happened. But what it says is that the statements that were used could not be used, and therefore um, this has to be overturned because of, you know, the Constitution, but it it does not invalidate the experiences of the victims in this case, all of who testified, one of who was the named victim for the prosecution. This, as said, it was a 79-page thing. We're still, I'm, I have it highlighted in here, and I'm still looking for it. Here it is. It's a very long press statement. All right. Let's get into the press release. Uh, consistent with his decision with attorney Phillips, D.A. Castor issued another press release, this time informing the public that he had decided not to prosecute Crosby. The press release stated in full, quote, a Montgomery County district, not a, 
quote, Montgomery County District Attorney Bruce L. Castor Jr. has announced that a joint investigation by his office and the mm, Chettleham Township Police Department into allegations against actor and comic Bill Cosby is concluded. Cosby maintains a residence in the township in Montgomery County. A 31-year-old female, a former employer of the athletic department of Temple University, complained to detectives that Cosby had touched her inappropriately during a visit to his home. It went a bit beyond that, but that's not really appropriate detail for the press release. Emily in interjection there. Um, during a visit to his home in January 2004, the woman reported the allegation to police in her native Canada January 13th, 2005. Canadian authorities in turn referred the complaint to Philadelphia police. Philadelphia forwarded the complaint to Chettleham police. The district attorney's office became involved at the request of the police chief, John Norris. Everyone involved in this matter cooperated with investigators, including the complainant and Cosby. The level of cooperation has helped the investigation proceed smoothly and effectively. The DA commends all parties for their assistance. The DA has reviewed the statements of the parties involved, those of all witnesses who might have firsthand knowledge of the alleged incident, including family, friends, coworkers of the complainant, and the professional acquaintances and employees of Mr. Cosby. Detectives searched the home for potential evidence. Investigators further provided DA Castor with phone records and other items that might have evidentiary value. Lastly, the DA reviewed statements from other persons claiming that Cosby behaved inappropriately with them on prior occasions. I mean, again, after the trial, that is an understatement, but that is my interjection. Not appropriate really for a press release where you're saying that you're not prosecuting. What you don't want to do is make it look like this is, you know, worse and then be like, by the way, we're not doing anything about it because that's not going to fly either um, for a DA to release a statement in that way. My, my own interjection. However, the detectives could find no instance of cause in Cosby's past where anyone complained to law enforcement of conduct, which would constitute a criminal offense. After reviewing the above and consulting with county and um Local detectives, the district attorney finds insufficient, credible, and admissible evidence exists upon which any charge against Cosby could be sustained beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, that That's exactly how charging decisions get declined. In making this finding, the district attorney has analyzed the facts in relation to the elements of any applicable offenses, including whether Cosby possessed the requisite criminal intent. In addition, D.A. Castor applied the rules of evidence governing whether or not evidence is admissible. Evidence may be inadmissible if it's too remote in time to be considered legally relevant. This is the other part, again, my introduction, of what the court is considering about whether the other evidence, the um, other women that testified were too remote in time. This district attorney at that time felt that they were. The court allowed it. The Supreme Court declined to comment on that because the Fifth Amendment grounds are what they ruled on or if it was illegally obtained pursuant to Pennsylvania law. After the analysis, the district attorney concludes that a conviction under the circumstances of this case would be unattainable. As such, DA Castor declines to authorize the filing of criminal charges in connection with this matter. Because a civil action with a much lower standard of proof is possible, the district attorney renders no opinion concerning the credibility of any party involved so as not to contribute to the publicity and taint Perspective jurors. The district attorney does not intend to expound publicly on the details of his decision for fear that his opinions and analysis might give undue weight by might be given undue weight by jurors in any uh, contemplated civil action. So it's clear in this press release that a civil action is contemplated at this time. 
DA Castor cautions all parties to this matter that he will reconsider this decision should the need arise. Well, I mean, he said if the need arises, he might reconsider it. Much exists in this investigation that could be used by others to portray persons on both sides of the issue in a less than flattering light. The district attorney encourages the parties to resolve their dispute from this point forward with a minimum of rhetoric. Don't talk. That's the DA saying, hey, don't talk about this in public. Go and deal with this civilly, and we are not prosecuting. Though I can understand why future DAs would have said, um, it does say we might we might uh, reconsider if it's necessary. The thing is that the parties contemplated that the civil action would go forward and Cosby did cooperate with the civil action. So I don't think this is something that's going to come up again. I don't think this is a usual circumstance by any means. I think this is a fairly unusual case where you have a prosecutor seemingly um, promising immunity without a formal immunity agreement, and then having somebody in a civil action make statements against their own interests that's then used against them. Again, prosecuting this without those statements probably would have been the cleaner path, but that's not what was done, and there will not be an opportunity to do such because further prosecution on this matter is barred because double jeopardy and the like. Um, it'll be interesting. There's not really much to go from here. I'm going to be looking at the concurring and dissenting opinions to see if there's any more that I can garner from this at a later time um, and probably talk about it during Friday Night Live a little if there's anything more there. But this is done. He's been released from custody. This conviction has been overturned on Fifth Amendment grounds based on those statements made at the deposition and used in trial. And there is really no other remedy to this. The Supremes of the state of Pennsylvania have spoken, and and that is that is it. That is their right to do under their state's law. And though we don't like the result, um, yeah, the defendant relied on that statement. And the record made in this case is very clear that the intent of the DA was for this to clear the way for Cosby to testify at the civil proceeding. He did, in fact, testify at the civil proceeding, and 10 years later, it was undone. I can understand um, the frustration on all sides with this, but it's not the wrong result. It's the right result under the law, and it's the right result under the Fifth Amendment. It probably shouldn't have been prosecuted with those statements in the first place, and then we probably wouldn't be here. There would still be the 404 issue, but... It's, a, it's an unusual circumstance for sure. As always, thank you for being with me and thank you for being a law nerd. If you want to see that decision, this is also up on my YouTube channel as a video. If you are not already on the YouTubes, head on over there at watchemily.com to join me on the YouTubes. I love having you over there. And because it's the Emily Show, we're going to raise a glass. We're going to raise a glass together or whatever you have and say it with me. Say it loud. Say it proud. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your family be well. And may the odds be ever in your favor. Thank you for being here. And I will see you on the next episode of The Emily Show. Take care. Hey there, Law Nerd. Thanks for hanging with me for another episode. If you are looking for a way to show your Law Nerd pride, head on over to lawnerdshop.com for all of your amazing Law Nerd needs. That's where you're going to find your We Ride at Dawn merch, your Law Nerd Love merch, and even the very popular 
control of yourself merch. <laughs> it's all there for you at lawnardshop.com. You see me wearing it on social. It's exactly the same stuff you get. My favorite right now is the all black fax hat. And we have new merch coming every month on the 15th. So be sure to keep an eye out on social media for the latest and greatest. See you at lawnardshop.com. And don't forget to tag me in what you're wearing.